Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to chapter 5, verse 1. The passages that Nate just read for us might be, they might be the most offensive, this might be the most offensive text in the New Testament. It might be the most offensive text in the New Testament. And we'll just start with some of the easy and obvious stuff, right? Uh, the, the main point of our, of our morning is a, chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free, right? So if we're the free ones, what does that mean about everybody else? Right, it means that everybody else is a slave. N- nobody, nobody likes to be called a slave. Nobody likes to think of themselves as a slave. I mean, the subject this morning is, is kind of, uh, it's, it's revolving around that. Who is truly free? Are we truly free? Are, are they truly free? Who is truly free? This is an extra touchy subject in the Roman Empire because this was a, an empire that ran off the back of slaves. And slaves were the absolute bottom. They were the burnt crust of oatmeal on the bottom of the pot of the Roman Empire. It went, it went citizens, Roman citizens, who could kind of do whatever they wanted. You know, they had to obey the rules to a certain extent. And then you had freed slaves who were, they were fine. They got some of the, the benefits of the law. But then you had slaves who had no rights. They had no rights. You could kill your slave, fine. You could do anything you wanted to your slave, fine. Slaves had no rights. So talking about slavery and freedom in the Roman Empire is a little bit like, what's he going to say next? And what he says next is, is bad. <laughs> so not only do we have the Roman perspective on this, you've got to imagine the Jewish perspective. Like Galatians is about these, uh, these Jewish conflict entrepreneurs who are trying to invite these uh, Greeks, these, these Roman citizens to, to become Jewish, right? So the subject of slavery in, in Israel was a very touchy one because you know, we talk a lot about Israel and the Roman Empire. You can kind of get the idea that Israel was really central to the Roman Empire. Like they were a big part of the life of Rome. They weren't. Like if you look at the watermelon of, of, of the Roman Empire, Israel's on the far edge. They're, they're nothing. They're nobody. And they occupy a really interesting space in the, in the social hierarchy of Rome because they're not Roman citizens. They're not are they slaves? Are they free? They pay a ton of taxes to maintain this kind of interesting space. And so all throughout the time of the first century and the, and the hundred years preceding uh, the first century, you've got all of these sort of like uh, freedom fighter militias springing up all over the place in Israel. They're fighting for freedom, but then they're very touchy about whether they're slaves or not. I referenced last week in John 8 how Jesus says, you know, if the Son sets you free, and all of the people who are listening to him are like, what do you mean free? Like, we've never been slaves. We've never been slaves, but what are all these freedom fighters doing? So it's a very touchy subject in Israel. But now as we look at this story, look with me here in chapter 4, verses 22 to 31. Did your eyes glaze over while Nate was reading that? Were you like, Allegory, what's the mountains, the, what is going on here? So, Abraham had two sons. That, this is what he's dealing with here. Two sons by two different women. Hagar's, Abraham and Hagar had a son named Ishmael. <clears throat> Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. 
Now, the Jewish people believe that they're the descendants of Isaac, right? Do you know who believes that, that God's promise actually came to Ishmael and that, uh, and that God has blessed these people through, through Ishmael and they're considered Ishmaelites to this day? Who looks to Ishmael as one of their fathers? Is the Muslims. And in the, in the world of the first century, the Ishmaelites were always people who were, they were bad guys. And the Samaritans, you remember Samaritans, some of you in the, in the, the Bible stories, the Samaritans are, are dirty, untouchable people because they're mixed in with Ishmaelites. So you've got, so just imagine, if you can imagine the kind of the tone of Jew and Muslim relations today, which is what? They, they wish for each other's prosperity and well-being, right? No, they, they want the other to be scraped uh, off the earth by the gods uh, as quickly as possible. And why do they hate each other? I mean, just insert all of your typical racial craziness, right? The, you know, the, the Jews, the Muslims, they're ugly, they're dumb, they're, they're dirty, they're liars. And this is an old, old conflict that goes all the way back to Genesis 16. And now here in Galatians 4, you've got a Jew, Paul, calling Jews Ishmaelites. This is the worst racially charged vulgarity that he could use. And Paul is saying, over the course of those ten verses, he's saying, Jerusalem might as well be Mecca. Because all the Jews there and all their religion is just the same as the practicing Muslims. Is he trying to be offensive? He is trying to be offensive. He's trying to be offensive. He is trying to be offensive. Why do, why do you try to be offensive? When you, whenever, have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to offend somebody, right? Because you're mad. Because you're mad. Paul is mad. Paul is mad and he wants to upset the Galatians and he wants to stir them up and provoke them so that they join him in this kind of intensity and in this kind of anger. And if we remembered what spiritual prison and spiritual slavery was like, and if we remembered what Jesus had done to set us free, and if we remembered what the church, what the beautiful new creation was to be, we would be mad too if anybody threatened to drag us back into slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So what is going on here in Galatia? So our main point this morning, we're just going to start here and get this, get this lodged in your mind, is chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Right? There's this doubling of the word freedom here, this emphasis on it. We are absolutely free because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, 36. He says, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. I don't even know what that means, but I love it. You're absolutely free. You're, true. you're super free. This is the message of the apostles in Acts 13. Paul brings this to the, the Gentile word. He says, by Jesus, everyone who believes in him is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The Son has set you free indeed. The the book of Galatians was written not long after Acts 13 to address exactly this subject. 
In Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, you're in Galatians. Why don't you look at chapter 2, verse 4 with me? Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 really spells out the occasion of the book of Galatians and the situation there. It says, Yet because of false brothers, so people saying they're brothers, but truly they're false, secretly brought in, they slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that we might, they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We we did not kneel. We did not faint. This is the occasion for Galatians, and here is one of the primary objectives of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1 again. For freedom, Christ has set you free. So to begin thinking about what Paul is saying here, the, the point of, of this passage in this section is to help us understand that the issue of freedom is of essential importance to determining whether we understand the gospel. Whether we understand Jesus and the gospel rightly. Free is a word that describes somebody who understands what Christ did for them. They understood why they understand why Jesus went to the cross. Why he died on the cross. That he died on the cross. And so now nothing, nothing that they do can add to that. Free is a word that describes somebody who understands grace. That every good thing in their life comes to them freely as a gift and not at all by their work or effort or earning. Free is a word that describes somebody who understands what Paul's been teaching in Galatians. They understand justification by faith alone. That we have an assurance of a right relationship with God simply because we've trusted Jesus and what he did for us. And so no work that we do can contribute at all. No failures in our life can detract from this. How do you move when you're not worried at all? You're free. You're free. Free is a word that describes somebody who understands that it is finished. It's finished. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Free is the natural result of the gospel. But freedom is this, it's this crucial but fragile linkage between the teachings that I just described of chapters 1 to 3 and the beautiful new creation community that Paul is going to describe in chapters 5 and 6. It's this, this crucial but fragile linkage. So in just a little bit, in chapter 5 or 6, Paul is going to say the only thing that counts is faith working through love. So, but how does, how does our faith become, how does our faith in Jesus become love for our neighbors? And the crucial link is we understand our faith and it sets us free. And so we follow the Spirit in freedom to loving our neighbors. But freedom is this, this moment here in Galatians. It's, it's this moment in our Christian lives, in our understanding of the gospel, where the baton is being passed. Right? If you're going to drop the baton... You're going to drop it here when it's being passed, right? Nobody's running the race and just whoop, 
throws the baton, right? And this guy, after he gets it and he's running, he's not just whoop. It's in that moment where the baton can get dropped. And it's in that moment where people are going to come at you when the baton is going from faith to love. This is the crucial linkage where a lot of times things get dropped. If we don't understand our freedom in Christ, truly we haven't understood the gospel. And if we don't understand our freedom in Christ, then the the beautiful new creation community is not going to emerge. The church is not going to be what it could be. You know, are there, are there Christians in your life that you're frustrated with? You're frustrated with their understanding of the gospel. You're frustrated with, their, with aspects of their life, sins that they seem to be tolerating, or, or, or foolishness that they're just giving themselves to. Are there churches that you're frustrated with? Have you ever been in a church and been frustrated with a church? I mean, not this church, but you remember other churches probably. That, right? Why, why is the church not what it could be? Why are Christians not what they could be? And, and, and I think it's because it's at this moment, at this point, that we drop it. We don't understand our freedom in Christ. Freedom is the, the next and essential aspect of the grace of God that we must, we must receive and then we must prepare to defend it. We have to prepare to defend our freedom in Christ. That is the passing of the baton that is going to get attacked. Imagine if you're in a relay race, right, but it's full contact. <laughs> Where are they going to come at you? It's at this moment. And this is what Galatians is. These, these Jewish Christian conflict entrepreneurs are coming at the Galatian Christians after Paul's explained the gospel right here at this point so that they never become who God wants them to be. And it's so powerful. This, it's, so, it's so fragile and that attack is so powerful that even Peter and Barnabas dropped the baton. Remember that in chapter 2 of Galatians? So the teaching this morning... The teaching that Paul is delivering, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in thinking about Christian freedom, but that's not the point of this morning. The teaching is you are absolutely free because of Jesus. The, teach, the point of the passage, the point this morning is stand firm and do not submit again. Do not submit again. This is a challenging thing. right? The gravity of this world and of our hearts, the slipperiness of our surroundings, tends to make us go back into slavery, back into prison. Where we talk about Jesus changes everything. Everything doesn't want to change. Everything wants to stay the same. And this is that power exerted at a fragile moment in the development of our faith. Standing firm and not submitting again is a challenge that requires vigilance. Now, Paul, in verses 21 to 31, let's talk about the bulk of our passage here. He, he symbolizes here what we need to stand in and what we need to stand against. Using an old story, which would have been very familiar to them, but he uses it in a way that's kind of strange to us. But he's using it as a, as a symbol of these two ways. So, for those of you who know the story of Abraham, let me just... Let me just summarize a brief overview for those of you who don't. So as I mentioned earlier, Abraham was married to Sarah. And God had promised Abraham and Sarah, even though they were very old, that he was going to give them a a son through whom this great promise that God was going to bless all the families on the earth and every tribe and nation and tongue. He was going to bless them all through that son. But they're very old. 
So they, they think about it for a minute, and they say, well, he must have meant like, not like our son, but kind of like legally our son. And so because Sarah owned a slave named Hagar, legally Hagar's children would have been Abraham's. So they thought, oh, we understand it now. We figured it out. We're going to do it for ourselves here and fulfill God's promise to us. And so Abraham and Hagar have a son. And then God shows up and says, I mean, that's not great. I mean, I'll take care of the kid, but that's not what I meant when I said, I'm going to do an astonishing thing for you to deliver a promise to you to bless. So he says, it's actually going to be through Sarah. So then Abraham and Sarah do have a child despite their old age, and that is Isaac, to whom God's promise comes. Right? So, so that's the brief overview of the story. Hagar, in that story, of course, she is a slave. And as a slave, she's a tool. What do you do with slaves? You use them. She is faithless Abraham's tool to obtain God's promise for himself without having to rely on God's timing and God's methods. And so Paul says she is the, uh, she's like a symbolic mother of all who approach life that way. All who approach life trying to get for themselves what only God can give. So she's like the mother of all those kinds of people. And Paul says, and so they just end up being slaves too, like their mother. They're being used, and they're not going to get the inheritance. And despite how productive, how youthful, how vibrant, how fertile they seem, they're not getting it. They're not the ones through whom God is working. And he says, all who follow that path are like her descendants, including all of these Jewish Christian conflict entrepreneurs, and including, in fact, all Israel. Now, Sarah, on the other hand, Sarah, in the story, she could not bring about life. She and Abraham had tried for decades. No babies. And so Paul says she's like the symbolic mother of everyone who can't. She's the symbolic mother of everybody who loses hope, but who looks to God, receives his promise, and then God delivers to them His faithful promise delivered. Sarah is the symbolic mother of the grace that God gives us in Christ. And and Paul says, all who follow her path then, they're like Isaac, they're children born of God, heirs of God's heart, and all that is his. So that's that's this kind of crazy section here in Galatians 4. And and summarized, it's Paul saying there's two there's two paths, there's two ways. And God's way is Christ. It's just Christ. Look to Christ. Turn to Christ. Look to Christ. Believe in Christ. Trust in Christ. Fix your eyes on Him. He is everything for God's way. God has done everything we need through Jesus Christ and delivers everything we've hoped for through Him to us in grace and mercy. And the other way our way is the keep the rules way. The uh, elementary principles and the laws. Remember, we, we looked at this. Look, look with me uh, back to what we were looking at last week. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. 
This is what, uh, this is what he's worried the Galatians are going to be enslaved back into. He says in Galatians 4.3, In the same way, we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Look down again with me to verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again <clears throat> to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So just briefly, as we talked about last week, they, there's this belief, Paul is just exposing the, back, the, the infrastructure of paganism. That, the, that there's these elementary principles these foundational truths that then guide us and give us the rules to live by so that we can get that good life that we want for ourselves. But he says it's weak and worthless. You know, sad story part two, that dove is still, still sitting on them eggs today. I don't know what's going on. They're not going to hatch. She's not going to be happy. What are elementary principles for our world? I thought maybe, maybe we need to have a little more specific uh, version of this for us so that we can um, understand. I, I was thinking, what is, what is an elementary principle for 21st century Americans right now? I think it's, I, I don't know which way to, how to arrange this just right, but I think it's something like futurism. Like the, the promise of science and technology is that in the future we'll fix it. In the future we'll fix it. What's the problem? In the future, we'll fix it. How are we going to fix it? Science and technology. So just put all of your faith in science and technology. Just, hey, it, whatever the, whatever's technology, don't worry about it. It's just fine. Just buy it. Use it. It's fine. Don't think about it. It's fine because in the future, science and technology will fix it all. So that, that's an example of a way where these, these foundational principles of our life give us this hope in the future, this hope for the good life to come to us. We just have to follow the rules. Update your, update your OS, right? Just keep following the rules. I got, I got a Windows update right now waiting for me at home, and I'm trying to keep putting it off by hibernating my computer. And I don't want it, I don't want it, but you have to. You have to because the good life is one update away, maybe. But there's religious versions of this as well in America, right? The, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, we call it. The health, wealth, prosperity gospel, which says that uh, that future good that America's promising, well, only God can give it, amen. And here's what you have to do. You have to give us more money. And that good that God will give you will be health. It'll be wealth. It'll be prosperity. You just have to do more for God if you want to get more from God. There's some elemental principles that become rules that are going to manage and guard us to get us into the good life. So that's what we want. These are the two ways. And what we are to stand firm in, what we're to stand firm in is the gospel of grace. All that Jesus accomplished for us in the gospel of grace. We're going to read this passage a couple times this morning. I just love it. And it, it, it says this just perfectly. It summarizes Galatians 1 to 4 perfectly. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Stand firm in grace. That's what we're standing firm in. What we're standing firm against is this try harder, do better religion. 
try harder, do better religion, but now in the book of Galatians, and now today in your life and mine, we've slapped the name of Jesus on the back end. Try harder, do better religion in Jesus' name. And everybody goes, ah, I'm confused. We said Jesus' name, I like that. I don't know about this other stuff. Do you ever feel like, do you ever hear people say, do you ever feel like, my, my right standing with God and living, living a good, right life in the eyes of God is I have to become something different. I need to believe certain things. I need to do more of this enough. Right? You ever hear people say this kind of stuff? It, you could be right with God. You just have to be this kind of person, believe the things that we believe, do more of this kind of stuff. You know, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Do you want Christ to live in you? Well, you just need to be this kind of person and believe exactly these kind of things and do more of this kind of stuff. Do you want the Spirit to work in you? Well, the Spirit only works in people who are people like me, who believe like me and do all the things that I do, which you all need to do a little bit more of, right? God's blessings only come to... We could go on and on with this stuff. But it's only going to come to you if you change the way you are, believe these exact things like we believe, and then you need to do blank more. You're not doing this enough. You're the wrong kind of person. And in so many places in the world throughout history, we call this Christianity. In some places it's called Judaism. In some places it's called Islam. In some places it's just paganism. But it's, it's the same thing. It's the elementary principles. It's slavery. It's slavery. It's not going to deliver. You're going to get used and spent. And then you're probably going to blame God and church for it. When God's like, that's not my thing. That's the old paganism. They just put it in a, in a fancy book. So Paul says, mm -mm. stand firm. Do not submit again. Right? He, to be clear, he states it positively. He states it negatively. Stand firm. L let me explain. Don't submit again. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, we're going to spend a, a couple more weeks thinking about, as Paul develops, this idea of freedom in Christ. But to be free, the first thing that being free means is stop being a slave. The first thing being free means stay out of prison. Are you, do you feel free? Are you free in Christ? Do you, are you, would you say, I am free in Christ. Do we understand? You know, this, is, this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Do we understand the gospel? Do we understand what Paul says in Romans 8? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. Who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Are we free? Do we understand those truths? Friends, this morning, how do you feel? Do you feel free? How would you describe your relationship with God? Is it a source of peace? Like Brian was talking about, I've got all these distresses in my life, but when I look to God, I get relief. Or is it I've got all these stresses in my life and I don't know how God views me. I don't know about that really. Are are all these stresses because he's mad at me? Are all these stresses because I'm not doing enough? Maybe, maybe if I just did more for God, I would be able to get more from God. Maybe if I just did more for God, these bad things would be removed from me. Are there people in your life where you look at them and you say, well, maybe if they just did more for God, their, their life would be better. Maybe if they would just do this, that, or the other, then these bad things would be taken away. Paul says, stand firm. What do you need? You need grace. What have you got? Grace. Stand firm in grace. Stay out of prison. And don't go back. Don't go back. Which is harder than it sounds. You know what the recidivism rate is in America? 75% of people released from prison are rearrested in the same year. 50% go back to incarceration. Right? It, it, it can be hard being free. And it can be simpler being enslaved. Jesus changes everything, in other words, but everything doesn't want to change. Don't go back. That's a simple way of saying here what I'll spell out. Reject. Every inner feeling and every outer suggestion coming into your life or arising from your own spirit, reject it if it tells you that you or any Christian needs to do anything other than or in addition to faith in Christ in order to get everything that Jesus has obtained and wants to give you. Reject every suggestion that any Christian, including yourself, needs anything with faith to get everything from Jesus. You okay with that so far? That's the thing. Reject it. Get angry about it. I get angry about this a little bit. You, you may have noticed, I grew, I grew up in a... In a uh, I'm like, I'll, I'll spare you the memoir. Um, <laughs> But you may have noticed that in a lot of Christian circles, in a lot of church circles, as soon as you start talking about being free in Christ, there's immediately these voices that are raised in warning. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to make sure you obey. Yeah, we're free, but you've got to make sure you're holy. Yeah, we're free, but you've got to make sure you're doing this, that, or the other. And so, throughout my life, what, what was supposed to be a celebration immediately gets hijacked by somebody who's like, okay, everybody, <laughs> public service announcement. 
Yeah, yeah, you're free. Now be careful. <gasps> this is freedom? This is freedom my whole life. <clears throat> I don't feel very free. I'm going I'm to put something on the board here that you're not going to like, but I didn't say it. I'm quoting somebody, so it's okay. <laughs> Martin Luther was writing to his friend Philip Melanchthon. And Philip was, probably like many of you, he was a guy with a very sensitive conscience. And so even though he had heard the gospel of grace, and even though he knew the gospel inside and out, he was very insecure in it. And any time that he would sin and become aware of it, he would, he would just he would go inward. And he would beat himself up. And he would be so frustrated with himself. And he would... And this would spill out in, in some of in his demeanor, and it, it, it affected his ability to love, right? The, the freedom is the linkage between faith and love. And so Luther, after trying to be a pastor to him for so many times, he finally, in one of the letters that we have from him, he says in typical Luther bombastic fashion, he says, Sin boldly, but even more boldly believe in and rejoice in Jesus Christ. He's not saying sin boldly, but he's saying admit your sin. Don't worry about it. And let every sin turn you to, to trust in Jesus more and to love him more completely. Is there a version of today where you don't sin? Is there a version of any day where you're not going to do any sin? Now, listen, don't sin. <laughs> don't sin. Sin is the worst. Right? Don't mess around with sin. I'm not telling you, like, be cool with sin. Every sin, no matter how, how logical it seems, no matter how good it makes you feel, no matter how small it is, you're sowing a seed of chaos, destruction, and death. And you're sowing it in your front yard. And you might not think much of those seeds. They might be small. They might be big. They might be easy. But they're going to come to flower. And it is going to be bad. And it is going to hurt. Don't sin. But you're going to sin. So you better have a backup plan. What's your backup plan? The elementary principles of the world? Try harder, do better, if only I would? Where's your backup plan the gospel of Jesus Christ. Admit your sin without hesitance and without shame. I'm a sinner. You're not surprising God. Admit your sin and then celebrate Jesus and rejoice in what He has done for you. Turn to Him. Trust Him. Love Him. Hey, we, we want to be godly Christians. Right? Everyone in here wants to be a godly Christian, but not because you have to, but because you want to. Because the Spirit of God is in you, and I want to be a godly Christian. I've been the other thing for too long, doggone it. I'm tired of that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be led by the Spirit of Jesus so that my life looks more like Jesus. Because when I think about my life right now, I'm not a big fan of it. But when I think about the life of Jesus, I love it. And I want that in my life. Hey, where are you this morning, friends? Where are you? Let me tell you where you are. 
We start the service by saying, hey, you tell me where you are. I'm here telling you, here's where you are. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have been justified by faith, and you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him you have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which you stand. We stand in grace. Stand firm in grace, my friends. For freedom, Christ has set us free. I want to close this morning with a, a kind of an odd place to go to close. But I, don't want, I want to read for you Nehemiah 9.15. Nehemiah 9.15-17. to 17. Listen to this. This is Nehemiah praying to God. Lord God, you gave our fathers bread from heaven for their hunger. You gave them water out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the good land that you'd sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. God's people have a long, sad history of being set free and then heading back into slavery. The Old Testament is full of these stories. It's happening in Galatians, and it's happening today. Right? Jesus changes everything, but everything doesn't want to change. But friends, God, just like in those days, God has a beautiful land for us, a land flowing with milk and honey. He has a beautiful new creation, and that is where freedom is taking us. And I know that in some ways prison is simpler. I know that in some ways freedom is scary, but it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. What I want you to think about the rest of today, what I want you to reflect on is, what does it mean to be free indeed? What does it mean to be free indeed? Don't you want to find out? So the first step then is, don't go back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for this beautiful declaration that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. How little we think of this, though. And I wonder how much of our lives are, are drifting and slipping back into uh, the various slaveries that are comfortable for us. For some of us, it is religious practices. For some of us, it's, it's sinful things or foolish things or worldly things. We are all habituated in some kind of slave, slavish tendency. And you, Lord God, want to draw us out. You want to draw us out in following Christ, keeping in step with the Spirit as we walk into this beautiful new world together. And so, Holy Spirit, I turn these words over to you. Turn, we turn our hearts over to you. We ask that you would help us to appreciate the gospel and understand it in its fullness, in its entirety, it's in its completeness, in its finishedness, so that we can be free people. Free people looking forward to the journey that you have for us into lives of love and Christ-likeness together. 
And so at that crucial, fragile juncture, Lord, we, we ask that you help us to understand this and appreciate this and celebrate it today a little more. In Jesus' name, amen.